So I've gone with Stevie Wonder, uh, Songs in the Key of Life. Oh, that's a wicked record. Bit long, but wicked as. It is a cool, cool album. It was Stevie Wonder's 18th studio album. At the time he recorded it, he was 26. Damn. He was recording in the womb. <laughs> Pretty much was. Pretty much was. It's fair to say he's a mu- musical genius or prodigy, oh, isn't he? The, the, the yeah. dude's on another Off level, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely on another level as a musician. Um, he's up there with Kate Bush. I mean, that could be <laughs> No. Okay. You two, you two have got to see Music! Kia ora, everybody. Um, you've got your favourite podcast again. Well, I hope it's your favourite. Um, it's Music, Movies and Madness um, with Martin, David, Ian and myself, Glenn, coming to you live from Tower, the home of TK Tower. All right, let's get into it. We've picked 1976. Um, well, I did. Um, and it's time to begin 1976. Um, let's go around the room. Great year. Great year. Yeah, nice, it's nice a great choice. year, and and for many reasons. But for the you know one of the one of the hardest ones to choose this week for albums yeah. for me. Oh my god, just spoil, spoil so for albums. And three quarters of us were born in 1976, so quite a. Special year for us. Well, special year for all of us, really. David mm. came first, and he was he was the year before. But that's all right. We'll get to nineteen seventy five. He's wiser. He's wiser. He is. Yeah, which is why he knows so much more about the Beatles than the rest of us because he's had a few extra months. That's it. Yeah. Right. Nineteen seventy six. I have. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on in the world, but who really cares? Because the music was so damn good. Mm. Um, and we had some movies as well, um, which I don't really remember too much on. But we'll we'll start with our movies first, actually. And I'm David. You've found something really cool this week. Tell ah. us all about. It. <laughs> oh, did I? So seventy six, um, and seventy six, the movie Taxi Driver was released. Yeah, uh, I'd never heard of this. Guys, and I know some of you guys had, but my God, what a mind beep this was to to take in. Um, uh, one of the earliest films by Martin Scorsese, um, starring Robert De Niro, Jodie <laughs> Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepherd, Harvey Keitel. Keitel. Uh, it's got. Um, it's got a twelve and a half year old Jodie Foster playing a child prostitute. Yeah, it's got Robert De Niro playing a um, narcissistic, sycophantic um, creep, I guess you could say. Uh, who's and it's in the first person, so it sort of follows him around as a cab driver in New York at a time when New York was. Pretty beat up. Um, in actual, in actual real life, guys, New York was going through some some major social sort of problems, at, um, strikes and major civil and industrial unrest and all sorts of crazy things going on. So it wasn't too far from the truth. Have, have who's seen it? How do you yeah. guys? Yeah, I know Mark. Yeah, you have. Yep. Yeah, okay, so you've all seen it. 
so recently. You know, it's, it's, it's quite creepy. Oh, it's not just creepy, but it, it, it is. You think about '76, right? And you think that towards the end, it gets pretty bloody and gruesome, and he goes a bit yeah. all um, say hello to my little friend, like uh, mm. on 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 some of the other characters. Uh, what was really interesting was the guy that wrote it, Paul Schrader. He wrote this in around 72, 73 when he was living in his car. His wife had left him. He was he was rock bottom, totally, uh, down and out, you'd say. And he wrote this story, right, about this guy, Travis, the lead character, about how Travis sees the world um through through the through the windscreen of his taxi as being pretty pretty um revolting um repelling disgusting um and the only exception to this really in the whole film is uh the character played by Sybil Shepherd he he lusts over for a little while until <laughs> And I'll, I'll, there will be a few spoilers in there until he takes it to a, um, I didn't even know this was a thing, a public screening of a porno yeah. on a on a, on a a second date. <laughs> and, and, and it's absolutely gobsmacked that she walks out halfway through or partway through. Um, can't, can't understand why she didn't want to carry on and keep watching it. And, and then when she says, "Look, that's not my sort of thing. I, I, I don't know why I even came here." He's like, "Oh, well, we can, we can go somewhere else." They should, <laughs> just... they should totally bring that back. Those movies oh. on, a, on a Saturday <laughs> well, with the missus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but if you didn't think that was bad enough, he's trying to chat up the 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 um, the, the young woman in the um, at the front counter selling the tickets, yeah. and he's trying to chat her up while he's and he's and he's. Grabbing candy or whatever it is from the front thing, and he's trying to chatter up in the entrance to a porno screen. It's just, it's about as out there as you can get, I think. Um, and this is 76. So I'm sitting back watching this thing, and what did my parents used to go and watch back in the day? They wouldn't have seen it because you'd been born at that point. They, they had no life at that point. Yeah, probably. But yeah, it was, it was. Uh, quite a journey watching this. I watched it twice because there's a whole lot of stuff that um, you don't get in the first watch, right? So the whole um, the way he he doesn't really see himself because uh, it's all first person, right? So you hear him talking about how he sees the world, and he's he's incredibly racist. Yeah, I, I found it a really challenging film to watch, but highly um, engaging in terms of you just. It was slow and paced in that, but you never knew what was going to happen. And it was the score is fantastic. And apparently, yeah. the guy that did the score, and I'll bring his name up shortly, he he literally passed away within days or hours of finishing the score. That's Bernard um, Herman. Yes, he did Bernard all Herman. that. He did um, nearly every Hitchcock film. Oh, um, so he yeah, did he like died Psycho. In yeah, so he died on Christmas Eve '75. Um, just after handing over the score completed for this film, and it is a, an intense score. I'll tell you what, it's got everything from what sounds like sort of insects under a microphone um, through to yeah, you know that 
very edgy kind of swirling sound that you never quite know where it's going to finish. It's kind of like a whirlpool. And it's just brilliant. It really how is. How do you um, go? How do you go from living in a car yeah. to make to making a movie like that? Well, I think that's that's kind of the inspiration, right? He But how do you do that? He had, must have had no money or anything. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what. The, yeah, yeah. Good point. What the connection is? How he got it to Scorsese mm. to um to to direct in that? Uh, I'm not sure. But but here's another fun fact, right? The girl that um uh, the character that is the twelve and a half year old prostitute um is a real thing that um Scorsese and uh and um Schrader actually went out there um they picked up well he Schrader picked up a, a child uh, no a, a prostitute a sex worker um got her back to the hotel purely for the and this is his words for the benefit of um trying to understand the character and cast it found out she's underage paid her the money insisted there was nothing to happen no sex nothing like that but just basically interviewed her and then went down to breakfast in the hotel the next morning with her <laughs> school sees he sees him at the breakfast and he's like does the introductions in all a very matter of fact way like it was a completely a professional above board interview or you know well, both no interview for the purpose of trying to research a character um for the film uh actually happened um what and that crazy. interview lasted that interview lasted all night he paid her for the whole night no that, this is, they right, are the see, best okay. interviews man they just well, all night. Yeah, well there's many versions of the story you see so that's probably the most um oh, i guess innocent God. version but crazy eh? Uh, mad yeah totally but yeah uh definitely recommend good, it good, good film. movie yeah Brilliant acting. De Niro is just psychotic. It's like you just don't want to meet this guy. And there's a really good scene in there where he sort of walks into his buddies in the cab cafe or whatever, and they, they, they as he walks in, they refer to him as lover boy, I think, or something like that. He, you know, he's in there for a couple of minutes, and by the time he walks out, one of the characters looks at him and he says, "Killer." He just calls him killer because he can see that just the transformation. Uh... The guy, the guys, the guys just unhinged. He's not. He's not on the same planet as, as everyone else. It's just scary. Fantastic film and really creepy as in just one mm. of the first of many greats by Martin Scorsese. Mm. Um, yeah, he really did a fabulous job of looking at sort of that underworld and bringing it to life so well, which is quite amazing. With a with a helpful dash of, an honest dash of hyperviolence or whatever you call it. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's him to a Tito, really, isn't it? In terms it of is the, totally, you know. Yeah, totally. I don't know what the budget was. I could look it up, but um, oh. and he's in it, right? Scorsese's in it. He's he's one I of the. He always has a little role. Yeah, it's a it's a five star film. It really yeah. is. Yeah. <clears throat> Martin, what have you got for us? Yeah, in some ways, um, the the story in terms of how it's produced and, and how it actually came to be is. is on a parallel, really. So I've gone with, with Rocky. Yeah. Okay. It's actually really, it's a great film. 
It is a great film. It's a feel-good film as well, you know. Yeah. It's it's yeah. you know, reading some of the reviews and stuff from the time, a lot of people described it as being like a almost like a Kafka film. It's very kind of it's got an upbeat story and it's a little bit of a kind of urban fairy tale kind of thing going on as well, you know. It's it's rooting for the underdog and all of that kind of stuff. And you know, in a sports film, you know, that's it's it's gold. So in terms of the background for it, um Sylvester Stallone wrote the script um, after watching um, a boxing match. Um, I can't remember who it was now. It's probably not the hardest script to write, though, in all fairness. Well, <laughs> but like this, he, he, watched this, he watched the boxing match. It was Muhammad Ali and Chuck Weppner, was the, oh, other, right. the other boxer, um, wrote the script in three and a half days. So there you go, Gosh. yeah. Um, Genius. And um, basically, it kind of did the rounds around all the studios. All the studios were really interested. What they weren't interested in, though, was hiring Stallone as the star of the movie. Um, they were looking for someone like a Burt Reynolds or a James Caan or Robert Redford to kind of star oh, in it. No, no, no. And Stallone was like, well, you either cast me in the role or you don't get the script. You should say that in a Stallone act, Stallone voice. Come on, man. I'm your worst nightmare. I can't get down that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, something in the basement and all of that stuff. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Always but, um, bringing out the Stallone. Uh, Adrian. Adrian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you I don't know what that is, but it's not Stallone, but it's bloody funny. Oh, okay, yeah. I can't do it. <clears throat> not, not warmed up for sub bass frequencies at the moment. Um, anyway, uh, eventually it ended up um, with someone, and um, they uh, yeah, said, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll take a punt on you, and uh, we'll let you do it, and you can star in it. Um, but as a result, the budget was pretty tiny for the time it was basically a million dollars um which sounds like quite a sound my mummy but when you think about mm -hmm. that movie really. the yeah. scope of some of the scenes in that movie and the whole fight sequences and stuff in that movie it, it it they really had to stretch it and in fact to the point where most of stallone's family is actually in the film to try and save money <laughs> so like his dad's in it um his his brother um I don't know if you know the dog. Do you know um, Stallone's brother Frank? Frank Stallone. He's like no. a singer, okay. And I, I use singer in a quite a loose term because he's yeah. frankly not very good. But as a result, like every time, mm -hmm. like there was like a Rocky or a Rambo or something, they basically got this guy in his brother to do the theme tune, <laughs> to sing a song. So if you look at all of those soundtracks from like all of the Stallone films, like right all the way through, like the arm wrestling one and stuff and, and all these movies, there's a song by Frank Stallone on every single one. <laughs> oh, that's a bloody discount, isn't it? You, you buy one, you get one thrown in half price. You get, a, you get that's, that's, that's fabulous. That's awesome. Um, Looking after your own. Absolutely right. That seems to be the rocky thing. Um, so, so the budget was really, really tight on this. Um, the score, which you know, it's like iconic score now as well, was done by Bill Conti. And uh, basically, the budget for the score 
was 25 grand. And that was for everything. That was wow. to pay the composer's fee, hire the musicians, rent the studio, and actually do the mixing, the mastering, and, and everything. Um, the song, the main theme song, kind of flown out, actually it made it to number one on the billboard. Um, and um, yeah, the album sold really well. Um, and Frank Stallone's song, Take It Back, is also on the soundtrack. <laughs> did he did he do New York did he do New York New York? Uh no. I don't believe oh, so. It's Frank Sinatra. That was Frank Sinatra, yeah. <laughs> the other Frank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Frank. Of, of the, yeah. The other Frank. And, and also the, <laughs> wasn't this one of the first movies with a montage? Even Rocky needed a montage. Absolutely, yeah. Also, interestingly, in terms of, of like production. It was one of the first movies to use a Steadicam. Now, Steadicam is like on a, a camera on like the gyroscope. So if you're moving around, the camera stays still. So in this film, you know, super important because if you think about things like when they're actually in the ring and also when he's training, so like when he's out jogging and stuff, and also when he does the steps, you know, the really famous thing where he runs up the steps. If that was all like... You know, <laughs> we get in motion sickness. So they did, <laughs> so they, they had this steady cam basically for all of those scenes, and it was one of it's probably the most effective use of it, certainly early on, that, mm. that you're likely to see. Um, yeah. So as I said, the movie cost about a million bucks to make, made something in the region of two hundred and twenty-five million. So that's not a bad return for the studio. Um, the studio actually were were basically considered like Rocky. Any losses that it made at the time when they were producing it, they had another movie, a big budget film that they were doing called New York, New York. So funny enough, um, <laughs> which uh, they spent a lot more money on uh, and completely tanked. And uh, mm -hmm. as a result, Rocky ended up actually covering the losses for, <laughs> for the big budget one that they made at the time. So, you know, what goes around? Um, I I think it's quite an endearing film. Yeah. I think for the I think for the year and what was going on in '76, that movie probably had a real big appeal to people, right? Oh, absolutely, like the yeah. yeah, absolutely. You I know, think it still stacks up now. I've never seen it to the end. Oh, no, I've only I've, I've, oh, I think I've always turned it off, but I should watch it to the end. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. end is good. Because um, it, it's yeah, not, it is, yeah. it's it's fairy tale, but it's not quite what you expect is going to going to happen, really. At the end. Well, yeah, like it, don't tell me, I'll watch ah. it now to the end. Yeah. yeah. After after that review, I watch that. Um, I think what, one of the things with this, right, and why it gets parodied so much is because you know some of those the, the sequels that came out, and there's actually been eight Rocky sequels now. Oh God, really? Think about it, because there was the Creed ones as well that came out, and there's. Just last week, actually, he was talking. Uh, he put a post up on Instagram or or something because um, they were looking at making a um, a Drago movie, which was the one played by like Dolph Lundgren in like the third one or something, the Russian guy, oh. and doing like a spin-off based on his son. And Stallone was like, uh, "You're just you're just milking like this cow, <laughs> you know? Like I want no part of this. Like keep me out of it." And he had a pop at um, Dolph Lundgren and said, like, why didn't you tell me, like, you were going to do this? Because um, this sucks, you know. <laughs> I would never have, like, agreed to this, which is why I want no part of it. Dolph Lundgren came back and said, the only reason I agreed to do it is because they told me that you were involved in it. 
So like he's pulled out and like it's not happening. That's all now apparently. Thank, or, thank God. Well, they say that, but it's Hollywood, right? Um, so how many Rockies can you have? I mean, you know. Well, do you know what? Like, because like they they did like five, right? And then they made another one like fifteen years later, which was Rocky Balboa. Um, yes, I've seen that. That one is actually really, really good. Probably yeah. only okay. second to this one. So if you watch any of them, watch the first one and watch the last one. Um, okay. Because the last one was was a good movie as well. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I've seen that one. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that. I've only seen the original. Mm. That was probably enough, I thought. Um, ah, the Eye of the Tiger was one of the um, big theme tunes, eh? Well, that's the second one. One of them. That Is the, it? Oh. The one with Mr. T as the bad I think that's stuff. 82. Yeah. That was yeah. on Mum and Dad's <laughs> Hits of 82 soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Got that tape. Yeah. It's a tune. There's a billion uh, gym playlists that will have that oh. song on it. You know, so hand us over there in the corner. Yeah. It's a song that should potentially be retired, but I doubt it because it's so awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like great, one of it. Great video as well. Have you ever seen the video? It's like no. the band being really hard and like walking down the street as a gang kind of thing. And yeah, <laughs> and, you know, one of them's got like a beret on and stuff. <laughs> it's like, and I they, love that. They eventually go into the studio and they're like laying down the song, you know, and it's like, yeah, you know, we're going to yeah. the 80s. I vaguely remember seeing I vaguely remember seeing a mm. meme and it was um you just put your first name when it goes down. Dun, dun, and you just go in, 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 in. <laughs> yeah, if you're going really down, you just go glen, 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 glen. And it's this like, on, oh. is this this is on your walk to work, is it? Yeah, With the headphones on. Yeah, and then if you run up the steps, you can do that and too. Awesome. Stormtrooper oh, outfit. And a stormtrooper outfit. It is. It's. Oh yeah, it was God. quite a funny clip, but you just put it on if you're feeling a bit low one day. You just I go. <laughs> And before you know it, you're actually probably smiling at how silly you are. So it's awesome. much higher than that, Dave. Oh, it mm-hmm. is. <laughs> it is super high. Except they're not smiling at you. It's called laughing. He's gripping hard there for that one. All right. Absolutely. Ian, what have you got for us? Ah, uh, well, good evening, guys and listeners. I made a boo-boo. What did you do? I made a boo-boo I because I've had a really busy week, so my time to f- to sit and watch a movie has been super limited mm. uh, because I really got stuck into the albums and, like, reviewed heaps and heaps. So, awesome. uh, yeah, which was cool. So I, I didn't see many movies that I liked, but uh, I actually went for another Pink Panther one because, you know, I'm a fan of that. Yes. But I, ro- I watched the wrong one. It actually came out in 1982. Sorry, Soz. (laughs) Yeah, I I suppose I'm more than the madness part of the show, really, right? But uh, gorgeous. Oh, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's called The Trail of the Pink Panther. It's 1982. It's it's probably the worst movie ever. Made really what? was Peter what? Sellers full, dead point? full stop. Yeah, Peter Sellers is dead, and the whole thing is shit. Just don't watch it, and that's where I'd like to end the show. 
Glenn. So hang on, no, no, you don't get off that easy. You don't you, come back, come back, get back. No, it's no, you, so bad. You, you, so, so I know you've had a busy week, so cut yeah. you some slack. Mm, I think, mm. I think, I think listeners need to know you've you've reviewed a movie. Yes. For um, the year nineteen seventy six that was released in nineteen eighty two. Yeah. Which is the year that we've already covered. I know. I've got issues. I've got a few issues. Ah. And uh, no, I said I made a boo-boo because I, I, I was actually, I was watching a Pink Panther one that came out in 76, but I, I, I tapped the wrong one and it came up with the trail of the Pink Panther. And I thought, this is so bad. I did 20 minutes and I lost yeah. the will to do anything. I just wanted to point it out because all the shit you give me for Kate Bush, that was all. <laughs> Um, okay, here's one for you. I would rather watch a Kate Bush movie than The Trail of the Pink Panther. Careful there you what go. you wish for. Careful <laughs> what you wish for. Coming your nah. way, buddy. Yeah. Kate Bush Glenn. movie. <laughs> hit it, hit it, Glenn. That's all I've got. Sorry, oh. guys. All right. Okay. Cool. Right. I've chosen The Man Who Fell to Earth as part of a bit of a, a Bowie double feature coming soon. Um now, this is a film uh, filmed, made in um, 1975, pretty much at the same time as David Bowie was recording um, Station to Station, which is my album of choice tonight. Um, the Man Who Fell to Earth is about an alien. Uh, it's probably the second time David Bowie's acted as an alien, but this time on film as opposed to, um, uh, you know, been Ziggy Stardust on stage. Now, mm. unbelievable, the phone rings. Eh? I would know. Um, I think we might have to wait here and pause for a moment. Well, I'll sing his, we'll sing a song, eh? I, Let's I do question, a Bowie song. I reckon David Bowie's an alien who occasionally just plays a human. <laughs> Is it Bowie or Bowie? <laughs> Bowie. Bowie. It's not Bowie. Bowie. It's Who Bowie. says Bowie? Is it American? Bowie. Yeah, Bowie. I think so. The Bowie. You know, it's one of those things. They probably it's Bowie. it's the bow of a boat, but it's Bowie. Always has been, always will be. Bowie's from space. Bowie's from space. Exactly. All right, let's get into it again. This, um, this is Bowie yeah, calling Bowie. <laughs> Bowie calling Bowie. Glenn, do your movie review, Glenn. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> the man who fell to us. Right. Six. Six. Five. Oh, David's going to have a trouble editing there. This is Music Movies Madness to Glenn Control. And now we're back. Back to the man who fell to earth. Um, right. <laughs> this movie is, um, again, the second time that David Bowie's acted as an alien, but not Ziggy Stardust this time. He's acting as another alien. And this one is called um, Thomas Jerome Newton. And it's basically set, um, he's an alien that uh, crash lands on Earth, seeking a way to ship water back to his planet, which is having a severe drought. Um, but unfortunately, can't really get back home um, and ends up succumbing to the um, human vices and corruption. And basically, it's a downward spiral of... Um, 
awfulness for this guy. Um, and I remember watching the film, um, and it's an hour and 38 minutes, and man, is it drag. Um, <laughs> it, it really does drag. Um, you know, it, apparently it's a cult classic, and everybody loves it. It's got some really cool surreal stuff in it, but man, I wish they edited it down a lot. Um, I, I like saw it minutes. years and years and years ago on TV, mm. and thinking, what the hell is this? Because like, I, it was just it, there's Bowie, but like, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, I don't remember it actually making any sense at all. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Um, was it another tax dodge, Glenn? No, it was a like, proper like movie. Merry Nicholas Christmas, Rogue. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Was. No, no, it was a real deal. Um, Nicholas okay. Rogue um, pro- my, pro- directed the film, and it's regarded as probably one of his best. But uh, yeah, it's become this yeah. bit of a cult classic. Um, and Does I it? suppose it's only because I reckon the performances in it are all right. Bowie is detached or acting as um, Newton. And I think that sums up his entire life at the time. He was completely detached due to the sheer humongous amount of cocaine. Yeah, Yeah, just humongous amount of coke that was going on. Um, Yeah, so he was a real wreck. Isn't this the one that has the the scene with the mirror? (laughs) Where Where he's holding a mirror? Is it that one? Yes, yes. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of the mime stuff comes into it. And yeah, yeah it's just really trippy and weird um, and way too long. Um, and an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <it's>, something. <laughs> well, it's really been a TV commercial. <laughs> an hour and 58 minutes of pain at times. But yeah, mm. it can't be redeemed. So let's get to side B and finish off this review. What you doing out that mouth? That's pretty freaky, Bowie. Isn't it cold out in space, Bowie? Do you want to borrow my jumper, Bowie? Does the space cold make your nipples go pointy, Bowie? Do you use your pointy nipples as telescopic antennae to transmit data back to Earth? But you do, you freaky old bastard, you. Hey, Bowie, do you have one really funky secret well, Welcome back to part B, side B of movies, music and madness. All right, where were we? The man who fell to earth. Um, yeah, an hour and 38 minutes. Could have been just an hour and a half bit tedious but apparently it's really regarded as a really important film for science fiction but um i i did really struggle with it and crazy enough recently they've just announced that there's going to be um a follow-up tv show um which is going to be a tv series coming out this year which continues the the story 45 years later um are they going to make it a woman that fell down to Earth? No, 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 no. It's the same sort of story. Oh. I think some other aliens from his planet come and oh. try to find him. 
Um, uh, I think and... I think I read somewhere that Stallone's going to star in it, and his brother's going to do the theme tune. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> Brilliant! Um, I know I should have probably gone into more detail. Can you imagine Stallone with a uh, a Bowie accent? No. <laughs> I can imagine Bowie, Bowie with the Stallone accent. <laughs> I could imagine Bowie being able to take off that accent, be able to do that accent. Yeah. He, was clever. Yeah. he was clever with voices. Um, so let's get into the real thing of what I was really interested <clears throat> in talking about. So we'll go straight from The Man Who Fell to Earth, straight into a lovely second to Station to Station, which is one of my all-time favourite records. Um and it's really hard to actually um, – oh, it's so hard to actually choose favourite Bowie records, but certainly this is one that's right up there for me. Um, it's really short in terms of length of songs. There's only six songs on it, but it does manage to um, pack out um, a full LP. Um, and this was recorded at the same time as he was filming uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Um, and in terms of the recording, not a lot of people can remember too much about it because of the amount of drugs that were consumed. And yet how they were able to work, create this incredible record is, is astounding. Um, now, have you guys heard Station to Station? No, but I love Golden Years. I know you do. Well, you, you, and I, you and I have always shared a real love for that song. We'll get down to that one. Playing it at your flat back in the day heaps yeah. and then like every time we'd go out we'd try and put it on somehow yeah it's just so good funky it's funky it is it is but weirdly funky it's yeah, not yeah. quite doesn't follow a normal funky pattern or it's any. early funk it's early funk it's a bit know. like um i was made for loving you by kiss right no what <laughs> what no uh... That's funk. It was disco. Uh, well, it was, no, if, you, if, you, no. if you close your eyes and stick your fingers in your ears, kind of start on one leg. All right. No. <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot of love, except for David and I have golden years. No, yeah. I've got, what does got it go like? That. Yeah, that's a great song. I don't David, even know what it goes like. I'm not a Bo- I'm not a Bowie fan. What does it go like? Oh, aren't you a Bowie mm. fan? Yeah, it's a great song. My favourite yeah. Bowie album is probably Golden The Labyrinth. Don't let me hear you say lights taking you nowhere. Life's begun, nights are warm and the days are young. Come, 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 Actually, it's a a really funky album in many ways. I mean, the first song that I've got um, is um, Stay, and David's going to play a little bit of that now.
Day by Dave Bowie. Um, and again, just this amazing band. He's actually been able to get together um, and then they sort of bashed out these songs. He said at the time, well, you know, um, in an interview in 2006, it was a time that could have easily ended in personal tragedy. Um, <laughs> we potentially could have lost our spaceman. Um because of it, he said that uh, it was probably one of the worst periods of my life. It's a, a blur topped off with chronic anxiety bordering on paranoia. Um, yeah. Um, and it was all sort of put together in a over the course of 1975. But even though he was probably at his, one of his lowest points in his career or lowest points in his personal life, he was still fusing these ideas from um, the young Americans when he did the whole plastic soul and, and it really is sort of plastic. soul. we talked about soul music last week and young Americans has definitely got that, but it's sort of done in this weird sort of, is that on the album? No, it's on the previous one. White boy soul. What's the song list? What's the song list on Station to Station? Station to Station has got Station to Station, Golden Years, Word on a Wing, TVC One Five, Stay, and Wild as the Wind. Um, I only know one track of that. I need to listen to it, dude. Man, this is it. It's got Mm. a picture of him from the cover. Oh, oh, it's a still from the man who fell to earth. Um, Pretty cool photo. The music sessions were pretty much at times um, almost 24 hours. It just went on and on, and he just kept working. And yet the songs are incredible. It's astonishing. Um, Station to Station is a two-part epic, and uh, it's about, I think it's about 10 minutes long, I think, and there's two parts to the song. Um, and I love the, it's got some really fabulous lines. I must be thinking this must be love or is it the side effects of the cocaine? Um, and there's just some killer lines. David's right. Golden years is quirky as, and it pop, and it's really popular. Um, I think he was even on, um, soul train. They asked him on this all black TV show to come on and do soul train. Um, and that was, and he did golden years on that. Um, and man, if you see the video of it, he looks terrible. Um, but he was starting to fuse the stuff of where he was listening to that. I think he was already moving on. He was moving on from that plastic soul. There's still elements of there. There was the rock stuff in there as well, but also the start of the Euro sounds coming into it. Um, station to station's got a lot of, um, Euro sound in it. And same with um, um, oh, songs like Wild as the Wind, um, which is this really overblown, epic sort of thing, song. I rate it as probably the definitive version of that song, but um, I could be wrong. Um, and then you've got this other really quirky song called TVC15. Um, and again, it's all over the place. Um, and David's going to play a bit of that now.
ABC15. Um, and yeah, just like some of that stuff from Lindsay Buckingham's songs on um, Tusk, um, yeah, those have definitely got that sort of paranoia and nervous anxiety that runs all the way through it. So, um, yeah. I... Do you want to know a cool story about David Bowie? Mm-hmm. I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know a guy, mm-hmm. I, I knew a guy in England, mm-hmm. and he owned a cafe in London, and in the late 80s, Bowie was doing a tour, mm. and with his band pulled up outside in a bus, and he was closed, this, this restaurant cafe was shut, right? Restaurant, not a cafe. And he knocked on the door and said, can we have something to eat? And he said, not David Bowie. <clears throat> and he said, sorry, I'm shut. And the guy said, I've got David Bowie in the bus. And he said, oh, yeah, sure, bring him in. So they, they all got off the bus and they went into his restaurant. David Bowie and that went into his restaurant and they stayed there all night. He kept the restaurant open as long as they wanted. And uh, Bowie said to him, if you just keep it open for us, we'll pay the bill and stuff, and I'll pay you what you've made in a week for one night. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? Uh, yeah, apparently the guy was. And he know, got all the, you know, the photos with mm, him. You know, I mean, it's cool just having him in your place, right? Hell yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the guy exuded cool. Um, and he created a new character for this album and the tour as well. Um, gone with the extravagant um, outfits and stuff like that. And this was a very slicked back, crisp white shirt, slicked back hair, cigarette. Um, I think yeah. there's some suspenders and the trousers. And he became the thin white duke, which is not a very nice character at all. Um, throwing darts in lover's eyes. Um, yeah. And it's it, it, the tour itself was just backlit by just some couple of bright white lights. Um, and it was regarded as just stellar. Um, I, you know, for, I would love to have been around to watch some of these shows. By mm-hmm. it would have been fabulous. Um, so yes, um, yeah, I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, definitely, Ian, go and chuck it on. There's funky stuff on there. There's rock stuff, plenty of guitars, and also some really quirky, weird stuff as well. And again, that sort of mix of styles before he went to berlin to become another character yeah so oh, that's nice. my re- that's my review on one of my favorite albums of all time good check it out listeners oh yeah it's just it's the bee's knees mm. it's so good right who wants to follow that martin <gasps> okay oh yeah, 76. Man, what a year for albums. There were so many good albums that I was going to choose. Um, and I went for one. And the reason I've gone for this album is because there's like probably like 10 albums from 1976 that I listened to quite a lot. Mm. This one I don't listen to as much as I should. Um, so I've gone with Stevie Wonder, uh, Songs in the Key of Life. Oh. Oh, that's a wicked record. Bit long, but wicked is. It is a cool, cool album, um, and uh, it was it was Stevie Wonder's eighteenth studio album. And at, at the time he recorded it, he was twenty six. Damn! He was recording in the he was recording in the womb. 
<laughs> pretty much was. Pretty much was. Um, oh, incredible. He's a, he's a, it's fair to say he's a mu- musical genius or prodigy, oh, isn't he? The, the, the yeah. dude's on another Off level, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely on another level as a musician. Um, he's up there with Kate Bush. I mean, that could be <laughs> No, no, you guys. two, you two have got to settle this off yeah. air. Yeah, like, yeah, you're ruining Martin's night. We'll do an arm wrestle or something, like just, just something. Off. Yeah, <laughs> sing off. Meet up, meet, meet up in Wanganui and sing off. Warren Heights, sing off. Oh. <laughs> No, I'd rather listen that. about. I'd rather <laughs> listen to. I'd rather listen to Stevie Wonder stuff. Carry on. Right. I'm enjoying so, it. Great album. By 1974, he'd record, you know, he was hugely successful. He'd recorded like his last four albums, Music of My Mind, Talking Book, Inner Vision, and the one that I can never say properly, Fulfilling This First Finale. Wow, actually did it. Um, There's no prog in there. They were all back-to-back successes. (laughs) There was no prog in there. Yeah, absolutely. But at the time, at the end of 1975, he actually seriously considered quitting music. And quitting the music industry. He's getting on a bit, isn't he? Um, Yeah, well, yeah. He should have. And he was basically considering actually moving to Ghana in Africa and working with disabled children. And there were actually plans ahead that they'd actually started plans for a farewell concert. Um, But he changed his mind and signed a contract with Motown Records. Um, And at the time, the deal that he signed was a $37 million deal. Um, for seven albums, uh, seven years, uh, and he got full artistic control over those seven albums. Now, that's good, that's good foresight. I did the maths, it works out to something like if it was in today's money, it would be like 136 million dollar deal. Crazy, hey, it's, it's, I would go, I would, sorry, but I would be going to Ghana and I wouldn't take that deal. But <laughs> what do you think about the whole idea of having full artistic control? I think it's a good thing. But in his defense, right, the thing that I'll say about Stevie Wonder with this, right, is he still, he had full artistic control, but he didn't take it all in himself. He got the best guys to do the job for him. That's, That's clever thinking. The right. That is. That's clever, clever thinking. Clever, clever guy. Um, in terms of like you were saying about Bowie, like being in the zone and just like working like every hour, God said, Stevie was exactly the same. In fact, he actually burnt out most of the musicians that he actually used on the album. Um, in that he would go into the studio and wouldn't come out for three days, no sleep, like literally three, three full solid days of recording. What was uh, he on too? Oh, it must have been Coke. No for idea. Sure. Um, but he, he was such a, he's such a perfectionist apparently that like literally like people were sending, there's a brilliant, um, do you remember that classic album show? There's a brilliant episode on oh, this yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's on YouTube. You can go and watch it. And, uh, he was, he was talking about like people used to send him like music gear, you know, like, uh, effects units and synthesizers and stuff and say, Hey, like try this out, see if this works for your album. And he would sit down and he would try like every single permutation of that instrument, like every sound. What happens if I put that sound through that effects unit and then try this and do this and do this, this. So the guy was constantly like up there in his technology stuff. And and a lot of that stuff is actually when you listen to the album and if you if you can listen to some of like the um the unmixed tracks, 
Um, the stuff that he's doing on it is just insane. So good, you know. Um, so a good example of that was was the first single of the album, which was I Wish. And I'm going to get David to play us a bit of I Wish right now. So that's I wish a funky, funky, funky song, fantastically funky groove on that song. Um, yeah, um, there's one story. Um, the bass player on the album, who is off the chart phenomenal as well, a guy called mm, Nathan Watts, amazing. who amazing had played, bass played, line, played with him for years and years and years. If you listen to the bass line for that song, I wish mm. um, it's freaky and funky as yes, there's lots of beautiful. You know, just like rubbing the strings and stuff and doing all kinds of oh. weird stuff with it. It's all over the place. Um, mm. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. The bass player, um, while recording that song, had been in the studio for three days solid. <laughs> went home, went to bed at three in the morning, and as soon as he put his head touched the pillow, the phone went and it was Steve. He goes, just had an idea for it. You better come back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And apparently that was not unusual on this album. Like that, it was constantly in the studio. Worked so hard on the album. Um, it is a double album. In, if I would say, would it have benefited from being a, 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 a really, really good single album? Yeah, probably. But yeah. most double albums would. You know, they all suffer from yeah. that. But that said, there's there's some real like hidden gems on that album as well if you take the time to sit down and listen to it and it does work as like a concept album as well you know the whole idea of songs in the key of life was it was literally the story of his life up to that point um um and it was a social commentary it talked about the the problems with race and you know um lots of other issues as well but it was actually more about people you know it, the message that he wanted to get across was it doesn't matter what your skin color what your creed what your religion etc like we all need to just help each other and get through this. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
and and in terms of like the musicians that are on the album um you know a lot of that reflected in that as well there's some brilliant brilliant musicians on that album herbie hancock played on a track okay. uh george benson played on it uh yeah. greg filligaines um it, the list goes on and on there's some amazing amazing people on that album um one of my favorites is the uh, kind of jazzy swing tune uh sir duke which was the second single of the album um mm. What I would say about this is uh, we're going to play a bit of that now, um, but have a listen to the horn section in this song. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. So that was the Duke. The horns there are just the hottest, hottest, like brass <laughs> section ever. It's the sharpest, sharpest, and it's right in your face from the moment that song starts. No, it ain't. You know it. Yeah. You know the bits. You man. know the yes. bits. You know all the bits. And and the the arrangement is just brilliant. Who arranged it, Stevie? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. He did most of like the, the orchestral arrangements and stuff. Um, I mean, you know what's quite interesting there. It's like when you say he was a, a bit of a taskmaster and it was grueling and mm. I suppose people listening to that would think, Jesus, but do you know what? I would actually love to work with someone like that just for six months and go hard, man, in a studio. I, I bet the results you can get must be incredible I if you can commit that amount of time and energy. I think a big part of that was he knew that he was on fire at the time. You know, he just yeah, kept like, right four like grammy winning albums like in a row and it's yeah. like well you know i'm gonna do a double album and i'm gonna make it the best yeah. one yet and he yeah, knew it he, was, he just knew he had the confidence and, and the vision to kind of like pull it off so absolutely went full full guns on it yeah, yeah. he definitely was in his purple purple phase eh, of such a great run of records that album as well so um it's probably one of the most heavily sampled albums of all time as wow. well when you think back to it uh you know uh pastime paradise is on the album which like which oh, was yeah. sampled by coolio and turned into gangster's paradise, paradise yeah. um i wish was nicked by well in fact will smith basically built a career on uh stealing stevie wonder <laughs> samples and like turning them into songs for his movies uh, frank stallone could have learned a thing or two from, from uh, will, <laughs> will smith i think um could you just start with from stevie um yeah um yeah, there's like four huge songs. Well, well, what I think would 
probably be considered huge songs now. So the two that we've just played, mm. um, Pastime Paradise, and, and the last one is, um, well, five, sorry, Isn't She Lovely? Because everybody knows that one, right? Yeah. Um, which was, uh, you know, it's not, although it's a love song, it's actually written about his daughter, his newborn baby daughter. And if you listen to the lyrics carefully, you'll hear that coming through. Um, and the, the the last one as well is um, As, which was later covered by George Michael with, um, I can't remember who it was now. Um, oh, female singer, soul singer. Anyway. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, that's a great tune. Which again, like, had you know, was massive when, when like George Michael did it as well. Yes. Um, God, who was that he sang it with? Uh, yeah. You know the true love lasts for nothing. Yeah. Uh, oh, damn. Can't think. Someone better. Mary, Mary J. Blige. Mary C. Yeah. Right, right, right. It was, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was, um, it's the first album ever, oh no, sorry, the, sorry, the third album ever to have debuted at number one on the Billboard album chart, like straight in at number one. Uh, and the two pre the, the, the prior to, both Elton John, uh, Captain Fantastic and Rock of the Westies, both went straight in at number one. Um, it also did exactly the same thing in Canada, went to number one straight away. Um, Spent 13 weeks at number one in the US charts. Um, Damn. So, and this was the year of Fleetwood Mac's. Well, yeah, we know. Actually, it came out in like late 76 and was like still oh, there in right. 77. So, like, the, the ended up being like Fleetwood Mac Rumors was the only album that kind of outsold it in 77 as well. So, literally, over the course of those two years, it was way up there. Um, and won him a grand, grand, another Grammy for uh, Best Album, which was like his fourth, I think, out of five albums in a row. <laughs> so just nuts, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a cool, cool album. Um, there's a track on it called uh, Black Man, uh, and that's one I would definitely have a, recommend having a listen to. It's got the funkiest synth stuff going on on it, like absolutely crazy bass lines. Um, and again, like on that, documentary thing there's a breakdown of some of the tracks for it and mm. how he's kind of put it together it's just phenomenal watching uh, and amazing to listen to so yeah if, if you haven't heard it like go and check it out it's, it's a brilliant brilliant album songs in the key of life fabulous mm. david chan what have you got for us what have i got um got another uh space theme thing going it must have been all the uh, rave at the time, right? 70s space. I've gone with ELO's A New World Record. Hello. Hello, hello. And I think... Hello. Didn't you do, didn't you do LO previously? Yeah. Yes, yes, we did. Yeah. We did um, Out of the Blue. What did you do? Out of the Blue, that's right. That's the Are one you... with the spaceship on the cover, eh? Yeah, the cool yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cool one. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's David's one like? Then? Let's find out. That's pretty it's, cool. It's it's um, well, it's kind of a spaceshipy thing floating above a city by the looks of things. But it's yeah. This is a record that my dad had in his collection. He'd always play Telephone Line, which most of us probably know, right? 
You want to mm-hmm. telephone line? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Don't worry, starting the comment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Oh, it's a good tune in that, um, and it's pretty. I guess for the time, well, even now, it's it's extremely well produced. Um, uh, amazing string sections. In fact, Jeff Lynne keeping violinists and cellists employed since 1974. <laughs> he's he's the. Um, I mean, I was showing the kids. Uh, um, uh, pulled out some old. Um, some old Blu-rays uh, the other day and um, yeah, the uh, um, might have been the Wembley concert I can't remember quite mm. recent anyway they've got an entire orchestra in the back of the on the stage it looks amazing right um, do you know this, this album do you know the story about uh, the cellist um, from Elo? Uh his name was oh. Mike Edwards yeah and he died in a freak accident he was driving along and a 600 kilo bale of hay rolled out from the side of a field and uh, crushed into him and killed him instantly. No way. My God. Yeah. When your, time's up, your time's up, eh? Yeah. I'm an egg. Wow, that was relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Over to you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> what were your favourite tracks? What are your favourite tracks on this? Obviously, it brings back a lot of memories. <laughs> well, the opening track of the album uh, is pretty damn good, right? It's it, you sit back, right? Close your eyes. I think it's called Tightrope. Yeah, and you sit back, close your eyes, and it sounds like a bloody spaceship's about to. You know, it zooms past you. It's got that sort of that Doppler effect thing going where, you know, mm. and it fizzes going, it's going past you. It sounds amazing. And and um and the violins are just superb. It, it reminded me actually that it's about four or five minutes long. It's quite long. It it reminded me of the um bloody Star Wars theme for Darth Maul. You know that. Jewel of Fates, yeah. Jewel of Fates, yeah. It's got yeah. a lot of that. You can see that's, yeah, I reckon that's probably where they stole that from. Mm. Um, uh, backing, backing vocals, the um, the choir, oh, it's phenomenally good. So I'm going to play a little bit of Tightrope because I think that's um, that's a track a lot of people might not have heard of this off as mm. much as Telephone Line.
like on this and it is a hit and it is one that's been played to death is living thing love that song Violin riffs. I mean, <laughs> violin riffs. I mean, who has violin riffs? Yeah. Jeff Lynn does. Jeff Lynn does. Yeah. He totally does. And uh, it's until a, the bale of hay. Yeah. Yeah. Until the yeah. bale of hay. Yeah. yeah. A lot of a lot of pro lifers believe that the song's written for, you know, anti-abortion pro-life. Um, interesting there. It wasn't. I love it conspiracy wasn't. theory. Jeff was like, "What? No, no, no! It's not. It's just what it is. It is exactly as it is. That's it. There's nothing. <laughs> it to just, it. There's nothing more. It just, it just rhymed with um. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I needed, I needed a one-syllable word, and I yeah. got thing. Thing was thing. the best I got. <laughs> Could have been ring or ding, ping. Bling. <laughs> it's bling. a living bling. I'm, I'm glad he went with that instead of burning ring. Yeah, that would have been. Uh, <laughs> it's a burning ring. <laughs> what a terrible thing to have. <laughs> so, yeah. you, you guys. Oh, we have digressed. You guys. <laughs> you guys. My album, my album choice. I know there it's a go. good album. Yeah, it's it good is album. a good album. Right? It's it's actually, I know you said it's a hit, and but it's a it's a really freaking good song. 
Yeah. But the whole album is a concept around space. Spacey stuff is phenomenally good. You just sit back and it takes you out of this mm. world, right? And you just feel like you're zooming away somewhere to meet Bowie. It's not um <laughs> it's not one or two songs, it's the entire uh, thing, right? Much. It is just brilliant. And uh telephone line is probably the most grounded of all of them. <laughs> it's it's kind of mainstream compared to the rest. Uh it's really out there. I mean, living thing obviously is quite commercial on that, but yeah, there's some really cool stuff on there. And like I said, that opening track is just sets the scene. Takes you to a different place. Yeah. Over and out. Now we go crossover to Ground Control. Ground Control. Ian. 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 Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. You're welcome. Ah, 1976. Man, I did so much reviewing of stuff I've not really heard before. So there was, man, I was close to choosing. Al Demiola had a great album. JJ Cale had an amazing album. I did a full review on Rush 2112. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've never heard that before, but I did a full review on it. But I didn't, cho- I didn't choose it. I didn't choose it. Martin is aesthetic. It's an incredible album. If you've not heard 2112, go and buy it now. And no questions asked. Uh, I actually went for what was a little bit. Um, yeah, something I thought I would never, ever go for, and it was an album called The Roaring Silence by Manfred, Manfred Mann. Mann's Earth Band. Yeah. yeah. And, um... Blind oh, and by the light. Yeah. That's a great song. Yeah. Is Manfred, the, is the, one of Manfred, the most misunderhood, misunderstood lyrics, or misheard lyrics ever. Wrapped up like that, a douche in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It it is. It's a shocker. All right, continue on. Manfred Mann, do what did he did he? Mm-hmm. He didn't. Um, I hate that. The mighty, the mighty Quinn. Oh, the mighty Quinn. Yeah. Um, I I mean, where do I start? Uh, I think I should probably start the review with an apology to Manfred Mann. Because I thought they were shit. Uh, I hate early Manfred Mann stuff. It's just wish-washy, blah, 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 and not interested. And uh, then I came across this album, The Roaring Silence, kind of by mistake. I was looking for prog, and I thought, Manfred Mann's not prog. do I diddy diddy And uh, this album, amazing, amazing, amazing. O-M-F-G. So... Um, they wrote you, it, didn't they? Did they write pardon? the Did they write that? Did they write those songs? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the early sixties, the they didn't. They went through light by the light. Um, did they do that? Yeah, they did went they through. They I went through a Springsteen song. They went through a phase. They did cover a Springsteen. They um. they went through. They went through a phase. So by the time you've got to the Roaring Silence, this album I'm reviewing, they are called the Manfred Mann's Earth Band which is like the third chapter in their band's history. Like so they'd moved shit. on from the poppy shit to the or whatever was going on to the prog side of stuff, right? Mm. Uh, if you're listening to my review now mm. and you like bands like Supertramp, Floyd, Hart, Rush, Foreigner, um, then I think all of those sounds can be heard in the album. You've got to go and listen to this. 
Um, every song is so good on the album, man. It's like uh, there's a song in there called Singing the Dolphin Through, which has a reference to uh, Plymouth in the UK, which is a really nice song. It's a nice dreamy sort of track. It's got an amazing saxophone solo outro, a bit Floydian, but who cares? It's there. Um, they do a song called Road to Babylon, which is incredible. It starts with this like boys choir, sort of really haunting uh, boys choir intro and outro, uh, which leads into a, a really strong song. All the songs are really uh they're lyrically good, you know, they've got really good lyrics. Mm-hmm. They're musically great. They're vocally great. Um, if you write songs, they're inspiring. Who is it's, the uh, who's the vocalist on that? Was it was it Chris Thompson? No, it was the other guy, Mark. Oh, was it Chris Thompson? I'm not sure, mate. Might have to do a good little Google. Um the song, the first song I chose, which Dave's going to play, hit it, DJ Day, boom, thank you, is called Wait It, There's a Yawn in My Ear. And this song's amazing. It starts with some sort of like slick, sort of spacey, slimy keys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like a really slimy kind of greaseball-y sort of intro. And uh, and it keeps you in suspense for ages. And then it sort of builds and builds and it gets to this sort of climatic part and then the drum snare comes in, brrr, sort of shuffling away. And then... In come the vocals, right? Bang, and it's and it's just red hot. The guys just singing away, the guitars screeching away. 
and it, and the solo and it's 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 quite um it's almost sin i made up a word actually it's almost santanic like santana not satanic santanic like that word thank you i'll have to try it out a few times to see if it really sticks but yeah thank you yeah so and after say it in a stallone voice and you might have sold it yeah Adrian Santanic. <laughs> <Is that, laughs> what about a Bowie voice? Adrian Santanic. <laughs> and and after all that, I mean, after all, this is that one song, right? After all that, it's live, and you're just like, what? That what was live? live. Was it recorded they, live? Yeah, they've recorded just in the studio without. No, live, live with people clapping. You oh, know? Live, live. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've heard the song and you're like, Jesus, that was absolutely amazing. And then you hear the clap and you're like, oh, that was live. <laughs> that was amazing, nice. you know? Um, Damn. Yeah. Song two I've chosen, which Dave's going to play. I'm running out of time. It's called Spirits in the Night. Dave, this again has that sleazy, funky, dirty organ sort of riff that leads into it. It's darker. It's quite a sexy song, um, but lyrically really good. The lyrics are awesome. Uh, Blinded by the lights on there. That's probably the worst song on the album. <laughs> Seriously, the whole album is insanely good, man. Um, it's pretty predictable. It's comforting, which is nice on a prog album, right? You've got to have a comfort song. That's kind of of it. So, uh, yeah, I love prog probably mostly for the melodic reasons. I love the melodic, like, um, melodic vocals and melodic arrangements 
with synths and strings and you can't beat a good ooh and a good ah. You know, I quite no, like that sort you, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So this album is complete, man. The Roaring Silence. Go and buy it now. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining in on our trip back looking at 1976. I think it's a year, guys, that I think we could probably cover some more albums from by the sounds of things. Oh, it's kind of good stuff. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. Look, I'm just looking at the list now, right? So you've got the likes of Hotel California. Yeah. Destroyer by Kiss. Dirt uh, Races by Queen. Boston's debut yes. album. Yes. Uh, Rainbow Rising is on there, right? Uh, Trick of the Tower by Genesis. As you say, 2112 by Rush. ABBA Arrival came out that year. Um, Wings Speed of Sound. Frampton mm. Comes Alive. Was that oh, yeah. I was going to choose that. Right? That was my uh, other choice. Mm. There are so many good albums. It Kansas, really was Billy Joel. It, it, yes, Leftover Tour. What yeah. an album. Brilliant uh, album, yeah. I, uh, I didn't realise you guys were such prog heads, eh? I, I was. I, I, I listened to the uh, Yes had an album out as well, which was called... Uh, I can't remember. Did they have an album out on 76? I can't uh, see it. No, maybe not. Um, but I, oh, I love I love prog, yeah. What I really liked about this one was was kind of doing a bit of research and going and listening to some albums. I actually found like a few albums that I hadn't heard that I I totally love now. Like just this week, like uh, <laughs> Year of the Cat by Al Stewart, which I had never heard of. I'd heard of the title and I'd seen the cover, but I'd never heard. I didn't even know what kind of music it was. It's kind of like folky rock, um, but really yeah. interesting stuff. And Jackson Brown. Uh, oh, Passengers yeah. by Jackson Brown. Never listened to any of their stuff. Really liked that album as well this week. Yeah. I got stuck into the um, Roy Ayers, Everybody Loves the Sunshine album that came out this year. Roy Ayers, Everybody Loves the Sunshine. Do do Oh, what an album. Yeah. So good. There was a lot going, a lot of styles going on. Yeah. A lot of genres, mm. man. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Bob, 76. Was Bob a... Seger did Night Moves. And yes, great yeah. album. Yeah, it's a good I one. I was actually I was buying yeah, some it's... paint today in the paint shop. And uh, speaking of ABBA, and that song came on. Which one? Um, you know that one where they're breaking up and she sings it? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, mm. oh, yes. yes, yes Winner yes, takes yes. it all. God, you know, if you, that is such a good song. Damn. I agree. It's a fabulous song. It rips your heart out, that song. Damn. Yeah. Looking at those color charts like, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Do I go for for like, my soul is blue or heart ripped out red? That's it. I went in for a purple, but I definitely came out with a terracotta deep red. (laughs) And a box of tissues. Uh Just as well, they sell them all. Uh, Oh, you poor fella. All right, well, 1976 sounds like we could easily review it. I'd be interested to see what listeners um, put up on our Facebook page. Um, Obviously, it shows that we're all kids that grew up on the super sounds of the 70s. And, um, yeah. How many listeners we got at the moment? 
I've How got many no people idea. listening to us out there? Oh, I don't know. We listen to each other. Just, just as four. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, oh. yeah, no, there's, there's, yeah, I think it is. Oh, and it was one, wasn't there someone from Mongolia or something? Oh, you know, we can't, we're global. We're global. <laughs> we are, we're in Russia, we're in, oh, Russia. we're in, yeah, all the places you want to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, we we love the fact that you're all listening. Um, <laughs> and, and um, yeah, please drop us a line. And if you've got some of your favourites from 1976, that'd be awesome to hear about it. Um, uh, so what's happening next week and whose turn is it that's coming up? Is next week the Britpop one? I think it is. Oh, yeah, London years. One. Yeah, London. London, London years. London years. Yeah. London and, and is that our end of season one, guys? Because um. Martin, Martin, <laughs> Martin's buggering off. Martin was going for half season a year. one. Oh, I love it. Well, we could, we might be able to sneak in a, a, a transatlantic special somewhere in there. Hopefully, <laughs> within uh, six weeks ago. This is London calling. <laughs> <laughs> we could, we could. I'm sure we could sort something out. This is the BBC. This is the BBC World Service. (laughs) This is Martin talking to you live from London. Actually, right, Martin, this time, what is it? What's the time now over in London? Must be about Uh, mid morning. Yeah, Yeah, 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, something like that. Easy, mate. You're coming to us straight from Abbey Road Studios. Yeah, be free. At least the crossing, the crossing. I'm going to try and do a little rock and roll tour for you guys. I'm going to try and find some rock and roll places and, um, yeah, and hopefully I would get some video clips or something to put up on the Facebook or or mm-hmm. some kind of yeah, thing yeah. Uh, so that you can guys can, can see some of these cool places, yeah. But Abbey Road is definitely on the list. That's on my bucket list yep. of things to do. There. Yep, check that one off. That was, that was a... It's a very busy road, beware. There's yes. actually a very busy road. I've been told. <laughs> it, is. it really is. You piss people off big time. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's, it's not long and winding. Guess what? Oh, short exactly. and busy. Guess it's what? a very busy road. If you don't like it, pick a different road. There's enough of them in London, you know. You could go and just a <laughs> bit of a detour, but it'd probably be quicker in the long run. Yeah. yeah. So um, tune in, everybody, for London. London's Calling. Um, Martin's going to host, um, potentially, potentially leave it on a cliffhanger at the end of Series 1. That makes it sound like I'm not coming back. (laughs) 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 And he will be back in Season (laughs) 2. We've got a contract. We've got a long contract. It's not quite thirty-seven million, but um... only thirty-five. Been, I've been replaced by Frank Stallone. <laughs> Could be worse. Marvelous. Could be Kate Bush. Hey, leave my cake out of this. Thank you. Thank you for joining in, and that's a wrap. This is Bowie to Bowie Till you hear me out there, man This is Bowie back to Bowie I'll read you loud and clear, man Oh yeah, man Your signal we on my radar screen How far out are you, man? I'm
Good to far out. That's good to far.